Okay, here we go. There we go. <clears throat> Thanks, Mandy. Uh, before we start this morning, I, I actually kind of wanted to pause for a minute, and um, our sister Angela brought to my attention that, um, is it your sister? Or niece? Niece um, is in need of some prayer, and I, I wanted to take an opportunity to pray for her. Is, is it Sarah? Um, with the body, but I also know that um, that's not the only need kind of represented here with us today, so... Um, I want to take this time to really just lift up any any of one who is kind of experiencing kind of infirmities, or they just need just need a touch of God, they need a move of God in their lives. And so, before we even jump into the Word, before we do anything, can we just pause for a minute and um, bring one another before the Lord? Is there anyone here who you don't have to say what it is, but either yourself or or a family member, or a loved one that needs prayer this morning? Okay. All right. Thanks for sharing that. Let's let's come before the Lord together. Holy Father, I thank you that you, God, you love us, God, with such a strong love, God, stronger than we could really even fathom. I thank you that you are a great and loving Father. I thank you, Father, that your attention is constantly on us, God, even though we're, we're full of these distractions constantly waving, just like the oceans with the waves crashing into our lives, distraction after distraction, and yet your attention is focused, laser-focused on our lives. And I know, Father God, that when you see us going through difficult times, just like it says in the scripture, that moves you to compassion, that moves you to, to a place of action, intervening on our behalf. And this morning, Father, I want to lift up every need represented in this place to you, God. The Bible says that you are the great physician. You are Jehovah Rapha, the healer. And so we come before you, Jesus, the true healer. And I pray, Father, that the power of your spirit would be in this place in such a way that the lives that need that touch of you, God, will receive it here and now in the name of Jesus Christ. God, you are the all-powerful one, and we need you. We're desperate for you this morning, so won't you come and fill this place? Won't you come and bring that healing touch, God? And I pray, God, that the healing doesn't, it doesn't just touch the outside, God, the physical. I pray, God, that you would heal the way that you do best, God. Heal us from the inside and in our spirit person all the way out to our bodies, Jesus. Would you bring that healing, God? We trust you for that. We thank you for it, Lord. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. It's officially December. Can we say Merry Christmas now? Merry Christmas. All right. Spirit of the season. Good things on the horizon. It's going to be a fun one. We're declaring it. Right, guys? <laughs> no matter what kind of craziness or hecticness or transitions come, it's going to be good. We're going to be positive. We can do this, right? <laughs> there it is. Thank you, Noel. <laughs> it's going to be good. Hey, I'm excited to be with you guys here this morning and uh, to get into the word of the Lord with you. And uh, to start, I want to take a look at this image that you'll see right behind me here. You might recognize this, this work of art as representative of a story in the Bible. Does this look familiar to anybody? Yeah. Was it Luke chapter 5, where there was this man who was paralyzed, could not move his body. And so Jesus was nearby in a town, I think it was right outside of Capernaum, and he was teaching in this house, and it says that the house was so full that you couldn't even get it, it was full, it was packed out to the door. And so four of these man's friends, they picked up this man's mat and they carried him to the house, thinking, we know that even though he's been stricken, 
and, and stuck on this mat for his entire life, we know that there, Jesus is in town. There's a healer. We can come to him, and knowing that, he's going to work on our behalf. And so they brought him to the house where he was. And upon getting there, they realized there's no way they're going to even get there. Everybody's like shoulder. They're fighting for their spot. They're not giving anybody. You ever go to a really good concert, and you're trying to get as close to that front as you can, and nobody's going to give up their spot, but you're trying to weasel your way in. It kind of helps when you're like five, six, and you kind of weasel your way through people. <laughs> but people aren't giving up their spot, and Jesus is in town. They're not giving up their spot. And so these guys realize, okay, what are we going to do here? So they find a stairway. They climb up to the, to the top of the roof. And it says in Luke chapter 5 that they start tearing apart the roof. I don't know who owned this place, but they started to destroy it. They, di they disassembled the roof, and then they lower this guy on his mat down into the middle of the crowd. And so they're just kind of peering. You can imagine them up on the top there, you see, peering down. Okay, okay now he's, he's there. Now what's going to happen? And Jesus looks at the man. Imagine everyone must have been kind of stunned, like, what in the world? Wouldn't that be kind of awkward? They're digging out. Jesus is there teaching. All of a sudden you see just dirt kind of falling. How long do you think it took? They just stood there kind of wondering, like, what is going on? Maybe they were getting yelled at. Maybe they were getting cursed at. <laughs> Especially if the owner of the house was home. So anyway, he's, here he is. He's laying before Jesus, and Jesus looks at the man. And what does he do? The guy's paralyzed. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, he didn't say that first, though. Because the first thing he said was, your sins are forgiven. See, he took care of the most important thing. First things first. First things first and most difficult thing he took care of first. Get, get, get up and walk part. That's the easy part. But son, your sins are forgiven. That's the hard part. He took care of that. And, but what I want to stop and think about is this. Jesus forgave the man for his sins, He's still laying there in his mat in the middle of this crowd, and there's one reason, and one reason alone, why that guy's even there. He shouldn't even have been there. He's, he's strapped to a mat. He can't move. He's never been able to move. He's there because of those four friends. He's there because he had somebody working on his behalf to bring him to the place that he needed to be. He needed someone to bring him to Christ. He couldn't bring himself there. And so these men, these four men, they brought him and they carried him before the Lord. And then things began to change. I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to hop into Luke chapter 10. It's just a few chapters ahead. And we're going to read about an interaction that Jesus had with another man, a lawyer. This is moving ahead a little bit further. And I, you imagine that this man that he's interacting with in Luke chapter, chapter 10, if you want to pull that up, Clark, this guy may have been in the crowd when Jesus was there and healed this paralytic man. So let's read, let's read the passage here and what it says, beginning in chapter 25. I'm going to read it from here so it's a little less choppy. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments, right? Jesus tells him, if you want, you want to live forever, love God, love your neighbor. And, the man, and then um, Jesus says to the man, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. A little conviction going on here. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So too, a Levite came. And when he came to the place and saw him, another version says he looked upon him. He went out of his way to go look at this half-dead man. And then he passed by on the other side again. But then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn. He took care of him himself. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then Jesus said to the man, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. So let's bring this back to the beginning of the story. We have this guy, a lawyer. <clears throat> He's coming up to Jesus, and he asks him the question, Hey, I want to live forever. How do I do it? Because word on the street says, You know how to get there. How do I live forever? Now, keep in mind, it wasn't a genuine question because it says right there that he's asking this just to try to trick him. He's trying to trip him up and find a way to catch Jesus in his own teachings. He's thinking that there's some kind of web here, and this guy, he's a lawyer. He's, oh, he's book smart. He's all about policy and procedure, and he's going to catch him right there, and then he's going to just neutralize Jesus' teachings, neutralize his influence so he no longer has a voice in the community. His intention was to shut Jesus' ministry down. But he comes in, in this sneaky way to say, how do I live forever? And so I love Jesus's, Jesus. Jesus goes about this. I, he sees through what's happening here, that he's being tested. But it's a good question. How do I live forever? So he not only entertains the question and brings it to the point where he says, I'm not only going to tell you how to live forever, I'm going to tell you how to live to the fullest. Listen closely. And so at first, Jesus points him back. He said, well, you tell me. What's the greatest commandment? And, of course, this lawyer, knowing the scriptures, tells him, okay, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor. And Jesus was like, good, you got it. Why, why do you need me? You got, you got this. <laughs> but now, all of a sudden, at that reply, the man, you can see, he starts getting a little uneasy. Love my neighbor. So it says right in the scripture, he tries to justify himself. Because any time that the law is put upon us, if I want to live forever, I need to love God, I need to love my neighbor, and if I fail at that, I fail to have everlasting life. So this lawyer, all of a sudden, he finds himself in a little bit of a corner. And so he goes to the place where he says, okay, well, who is my neighbor? There's my out. Who is my neighbor? Because what Jesus is telling him is this, loving God. And there's a reason why these two commands are the greatest command. Love God and love your neighbor. Because when we love God, truly, like when we love God in our heart, not with our words, but actually with our heart, that looks like loving my neighbor. That's what that looks like. We can't love God and then not love our neighbor. 
we can, and, and it doesn't quite work the other way because we can show love and kindness and, and compassion to our neighbor and there can be an absence of love in our heart. It can be just, act, just good actions that are empty of, and void of that love, that divine love. But if the love is there, then loving the neighbor will be there also. And you can't claim with our lips to love God and then not demonstrate, live out love for our neighbor. You can't do it. And, it's, and we're just deceiving ourselves if we tell ourselves that we love the Lord, but we're not showing that with who we are. Because if there's an inward healing, just like Jesus said with this paralyzed man, if there's an inward healing, because that's where he starts, on the inside, when we're healed on the inside, it doesn't stay on the inside. That thing penetrates out to our outermost being. So loving God looks like loving our neighbor. It's evidence that we truly do love God. Um, in Matthew chapter 25, you might remember that Jesus is saying, I'll read a few scriptures, Matthew 25, verse 34 and following, it says this, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The king prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now check this out. Here's where it is. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is God speaking to, to us once we arrive to him. He says, you took care of me. So this is their response. He says, the, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, remember this? Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Loving God looks like loving our neighbor. And how cool is that that he said point blank, when we love that person in need, it's credited to us as loving God. When I see that person who needs something, and I go out of my way, I put my, my schedule for the day on pause, and I move to that person, that may as well be Jesus himself. That's how he looks upon that. We're serving God. You know, so many times I've prayed to God, God, I want to love you more, help me to love you more. And I've got to catch myself and be like, I want to love God more. See that person over there? See that person who's, who's having a really rough day, just really needs a word of encouragement? Stop what you're doing and go give that word of encouragement. Show your love for the Lord. It's putting others first. Loving God looks like loving our neighbor. And how cool is it that he's given us that opportunity to love him in a tangible way. So this, 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 this passion for God that we feel in our hearts, we can do something with that. And we're supposed to move out and, and share that compassion with people around us, the people that he brings to us. So hopping back in the, into this, the parable with the Good Samaritan, he says, okay, who is my neighbor? He's feeling a little uneasy. He, he was here to come after Jesus, and now he's feeling some conviction back. He's like, well, who's my neighbor? I know I need to love my neighbor, but if they're not my neighbor, I don't have to love them, right? So he's looking for his out, basically. So I need you to define who's my neighbor, Jesus. So the word, the word that's actually used here, the Greek word is plesion. It literally means 
near, nearby neighbor. This is the meeting. So he's, he's asking Jesus, who is the person nearby me? As if that needs to be... To, is that really a question? If I'm standing right here next to each one of you, and I say, okay, who is the person nearby, nearby me? You can... It's kind of obvious, no? He's looking. He's really hard for that scapegoat. He's trying to get out of this one. Because the law said, love the person who is near you. It's very simple. We try to complicate things. We want to we we take the God's love and law, we want to put it in boxes and compartments. Because now we know we can get away with this. See, this man, the way he operates, as, as a lawyer especially, right? Policy and procedure. Things are done by the book. That's the law. But in real life, things aren't that cut and dry. It's not as simple. And this, for this reason, that's why we can never match up to the law. It's not something that we could ever succeed in fulfilling it all. But, you know, policy and procedure, law, was never meant for us to serve it. Policies and procedures exist to serve us. And that's why Jesus came. He says, love your neighbor. Love the person nearby you. Yesterday we had um, about 16 people come out to the church and we're cleaning the grounds all around this place. Um, a, bunch of, a bunch of Marines came from the base over there. It was awesome. Ariel got them together and Kip. And um, eight or nine of us from the church were all cleaning up. And I thought that was so cool because we were here for maybe three, four hours and literally maybe two dozen loads, truckloads of leaves were out of here. Leaves that were, have been sitting there for like years. It's all cleaned up. I don't know if you guys noticed when you pulled in here. I saw that because that's been like, every time I pull in and drive, I'm like, I'm so antsy, like, fix that, right? No. And so the reason I mention that is because these guys came out, some of you guys here, and then these guys from the Marines, they came out, and they were our neighbor yesterday. We were in need. We had a need that needed to be addressed. They took time out of their day. They came to us. They were our neighbor. And we turn that around. It's so funny, as I was just sketching a couple notes um, earlier this week, I was just thinking about the location of this church. I'm thinking how here we are, and literally right there, bordering our property, is the elementary school. Directly across the street is the trailer park over here. Literally bordering our property right here is the assisted living home. And Jesus says, love the person nearby you who is in need. Man, look at where he's positioned us. Are you kidding me? What an opportunity. Love the person nearby you? We don't even have to drive anywhere. We can walk right there. It's, there, it's all here. What an opportunity. And so when Jesus says, love the person nearby you, let's keep this in mind. Who is in need nearby us? As a, as a body, as a corporate body, we're where we need to be. We don't need to go and seek anybody out because they're here in our, in our neighborhood. So when the man asks the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus, again, reverts to telling the parable. And so this is what he said. He tells the story about a man who was traveling on a journey. And as he's traveling down the road, he's by himself. He's vulnerable. He's on a long trip. There's risks, especially back in, in, in the Bible times when you're traveling alone. There's a lot of risks involved. And 
What happened here? He's taken. They rob him. They, they beat him and leave him half dead. And they're like unconscious on the ground. And he said there's three people that came across this man's path. The first one was a priest. The second one was a Levite. And then the Samaritan. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus said, because Jesus is telling this story, and Jesus said that it was a priest who came by and saw the man. What's the role of a priest, anyway? A priest's job, his whole purpose, was to serve the needs of the people and be the connection point from people to God. So here's this, this man who was called out and appointed to serve people and sees a person and says, Oh, okay. Oh, I, I didn't see anything. Nope. And he walks away. The second person that came was, was a Levite, right? The role of a Levite was to care for the place, God's house. He would serve in the temple, serve in the tabernacle. This is, this is what a Levite would do. That was his job. Now, when the Levite came, it says that the Levite walked up, actually took a look at the man. He probably saw a guy just laying there still. So see, is he even breathing? He, he went and saw it and then went on the other side of the road and kept walking. Two people that their lives were appointed and called out to serve God and people, to love God, care for his people. And these are the ones that walked away. And then he says there was a Samaritan. Now the Samaritan, as many of you probably know, these were the rejects that lived in Israel. They were not Jewish. When Israel was taken captive years and years ago, there was another people group from another area, and they had been taken captive, and they were uprooted from their home, and they were plopped in the middle of Israel. The Samaritans. They're not Jews. And so when Israel came back and moved to their, to their country, their home, home country, years later, these people were there. They wanted them out, but they had already been established their home. This was now their home. They weren't going to go anywhere. So now they were the rejects in Israel. Jesus said it was this reject of society that was walking down the road and saw the man laying there for dead. And when the man came across, when the Samaritan came across the man, it says that he was moved to compassion. He took pity on him. He didn't see the man, give him kind of a well-wish, like, okay, God, please heal him and keep walking. He was moved to compassion. And compassion is a powerful thing. A number of times, even in the Gospels, it talks about Jesus. And it talks about times where he is looking out on the crowd or looking out on a person in need. And it says, and he was moved to compassion. And then goes on to describe the miracle that he performed for their lives. When our heart is moved to compassion, that moves us to action on another person's behalf, a person in need. And so the Samaritan was moved to compassion to the point where he didn't just dress him up and kind of, and kind of prop him up on, the, on, a, on a rock and say, okay, hope you're okay. But he stopped what he was doing. It says that he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on his wounds, picked him up, put him on his donkey, his manner of transportation. So he walked, put the, put the beaten man on his donkey, then brought him to an inn. Not only that, he stayed there with him that, the night and then left money with the innkeeper saying, take care of this man. And if, anything, if, if you're short, 
I'll be back and I will pay it. I will take care of this. At his own expense, he took at his own expense, his time out of his day, his schedule, his own bank, his own resources, he was taking care of this man's need. And he put this man before his own self, as if this was like a loved and cherished family member. And he didn't even know the guy's name. But he was moved to compassion, and it drew, it drew him to that place. It says in Luke 10, 34, that he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he put his man, the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and took care of him. In Isaiah 61, there is a prophecy of Jesus where it says, it says this, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives. By the Samaritan going and binding up the wounds of this man in need, caring for him, pouring oil and wine and seeing that he would be healed, he now was following the example of Jesus, binding up the broken freeing the captives. If that man was left there on that road, his life was done. It was over. But he freed him from that place of bondage. So according to Jesus' definition of a neighbor, a neighbor is someone who binds up wounds, who serves the needs of those around, a person who is willing to change their plans and spend their even own resources upon the person nearby. I wonder, this is a tough question for, for me, I'll tell you that, how many of us have people in our lives who would consider me a neighbor according to that definition? Try to look, the, look at the people I interacted with this week. If this is what a neighbor is, would, they, would I be considered a neighbor to them? I, I mean, I hope so. But that's a tough one. It's putting others first. So Jesus tells them the story and he said, okay, you tell me. Who was a neighbor? To this man. And so the lawyer says to him, well, the one who had mercy on him. Of course. And so Jesus says, now go and do likewise. See, the, problem, the whole problem was this. Having this mindset of like policy, procedure, law, restriction, bondage, all this kind of, this is the wrong state of mind. Even the question he asked, who is my neighbor? He's basically asking, okay, who do I have to treat with love so I can check the box? Because if, if they don't fit in this category, I don't have to love them. Simple. That's the wrong question. And Jesus made it point blank. You're asking the, the wrong question, bro. The question is not, who do I have to treat this way? Who is my neighbor? The question is, who can I be a neighbor to? The question is, who do I get to treat this way? Who can I care for? Remember, he's not, teach, he's not showing this man how to live forever. He's showing this man how to live forever to the fullest, the abundance. See, our human nature puts ourself first. It's self-preservation. Yeah, we want to live for, forever, but it's for, we have to get past that point. To really live forever and to the fullest is giving ourselves up. What did Jesus say? Those who lose their life will find it. If we want real life, we want to know what real life is, Give up yours and trust that you're going to find it because Jesus will bring it to you in that place, giving up our own selves first. It really takes a, a transferred mindset, like a renewed mindset like it talks about 
in Romans, renewing our mind. <clears throat> our priorities, when we put God first, are no longer the same. Our purpose is not about personal gain. It's not about success. Our, our purpose isn't even comfort. Our purpose isn't even life, for that matter. Once we love God, we're not, our purpose is not seeking after life because we've already attained it. And so when we love God and we have that life, our purpose now is to live, to live as Christ. Like Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's to move into that place of, of that eternal life. So now our purpose is to live as Christ did, giving up ourselves. That is our purpose. And so when we see these opportunities to be a neighbor to somebody, that's an opportunity to live as Christ lived. An opportunity to be a neighbor the way that he instructs us to. See, as believers, the rules change. We're not held to the law. Like when Mary was talking about, we, we have been forgiven. That cannot be undone. So we walk in freedom. There's no obligation. And the reason it can be so deceiving sometimes is because many times things can look the same. Elijah, um, my son Elijah, he's been playing in an indoor soccer league for the past few weeks. He's been playing soccer for years outdoors for Middletown and for Portsmouth. And this winter, we said, oh, we're going to give him something to keep him busy through the winter. He's going to play indoor soccer. Right, buddy? Now, it's been a little bit frustrating for him and the team because it's a little bit different game, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different game. See, there's still a field. There's still a ball. There's still players all around. But the rules of this game are completely different. You're in a cage. There is no out-of-bounds. There's a complete, it's a different size field. It's a completely different game. Even though, yeah, there's still a ball. Yeah, there's still players involved. But it's a different game altogether. And his team has learned that the hard way because they've never practiced indoor soccer. And so it's been a rough few weeks, huh, buddy? <laughs> hey, as believers, we still live here. We still live in, our, in this body. We still live in our same community. But the rules have changed. And we need to acknowledge that so we can, we can now move in that freedom. We have been made free. What does it look like to exercise that freedom? That looks like when we see someone in need, you're not obligated to do a thing. You don't have to do a thing. You're not obligated. You're free. You, there is no obligation in Christ. See, Jesus has moved us from a place of obligation to opportunity. For it, was, it says in Galatians, it was for freedom that he has made us free. He has made us free so that we can now move in this place. We're not bound by sin. We're not bound even by sinful nature. We can move and operate freely. So when we see some, someone in need, we can say, I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I'm going to go address that need. Because that person doesn't have the ability in and of themselves to address it. So I'm going to go do something and trust that the Lord is going to intervene through my efforts. He has moved us from obligation to opportunity. He's given us time and energy. These things are a gift and a resource given by God. Now, these resources are not, these, in themselves, they don't bring us closer to or further away from God, but how we choose to use the resources of our time, our energy, 
our money, how we decide to use these things, that's what will make the difference. We can use these things to show our love for God by loving the people he puts nearby us. Because when we do that out of obligation, when we do these kind of things, like when we see somebody in need, like, oh, I guess Jesus would go and take care of this person. Let me just make some phone calls or change my schedule today and go address this. Man, that's a burden. You're not obligated to that. You are free. And as long as we see that as a responsibility, as an obligation, that's going to be a drag, man. That's going to be a burden. That's like what it says in the, in, in the Scripture where Jesus says, take off that, that heavy yoke. Take that thing off your shoulders, man. Just lighten up. Be easy. He said, put, a, put on your shoulders my yoke. It's easy. Just relax. Hey, you're not obligated to anything. You're free. You're free, he says. There's something about obligation. When you are required to do something, somehow that automatically makes it a drag, man. For years, I was working in the, in the construction industry. And, you know, you go in day in and day out, and it's like, well, this is what I do, you know. And you can enjoy what you do, but it's still like, I have to do this. I don't have a choice. This is, this is my work. And now I don't do that any longer. And now when I have the opportunity to get out my tool belt and my hammer and, and, and the power tools, I love it. I miss it. There's something about when you are obligated to do something, it's not fun anymore. You are not obligated to do anything. Let me tell you, family, listen, you are free. You can walk out of this building and you're not obligated to do anything. You're not obligated to come back here next week. You're free. You don't have to come back here. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. <laughs> Be careful you say that, huh? <laughs> but it's, it's true. This is the truth. You are not obligated. And we need, to, we need to realize this so we can move into this place of understanding our context now. Yeah, you are the same person. Yeah, we're living in the same community. But the rules have changed. You're free. And in that freedom from obligation, now you have opportunities. You have opportunities to use the resources that God has entrusted to you to act out on the love that you have for God. Take advantage of every opportunity, seizing the moment. See, now we get to love people. Now we get to serve somebody who is in a place of need. Man, that's a blessing. You ever see somebody, man, like, oh, I wish I could do something to help that person. You just see them, they're, they're in a jam, and there's nothing you can do about it. Not, not in this case. Jesus says, you see that person in need nearby? Go and serve them. Be their neighbor. We're not, we're not in bondage anymore. We're not obligated to anything. So now we have that freedom to seize the opportunity God's given us. I want to slide back to that picture that we started with. story of the paralytic man. <clears throat> In this picture here, we see a man who's laying there in bondage, and that's all he never knew. He's laying there paralyzed in his mat, and he was brought there by people who were neighbors to him, lowering him before Jesus, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And then he laid there. And Jesus said, so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins, I will say this. 
get up and walk. And the man got up and walked and picked up his mat and he went home. The harder thing to do was to forgive the man for his sins. And that's what he did first. And as soon as he did, that man's life changed as he laid there in a mat. His life changed when Jesus said, I forgive you of your sins. And he was laying there in a mat just as paralyzed as he was. When Jesus has given us freedom, that's a spiritual, real freedom that we have. Free from obligation. And here's the thing. When the Lord gives us that kind of freedom, when he touches us in our innermost being and gives us that freedom, it doesn't stay there. It begins there. It doesn't stay there. You may have heard some people say, Jesus says, come as you are, but leave changed. Because when we truly experience the touch of God, we don't stay the same. We don't change ourselves, but he changes us. This man came before Jesus, and Jesus said, I forgive you of your sins. But as the evidence to everybody around you, get up and walk. Because when your life is changed, it is evident to everybody around you. Why? Because now you are not obligated to that mat. Jesus says, get up off of that mat and walk and let people watch and see what I've done in you. Let them observe from the outside the freedom that you have. Because if we have this internal freedom and we're not walking in it, guess what? It's like walking undercover. We're going to work. We're going to the market. We're interacting with people undercover. They don't see who we really are. They don't see the freedom that we've been given on the inside. Jesus wants them to see that freedom. Not only does he want to see it, he wants you to move in it. Don't live like you're chained down to a mat and you can't lift up your limbs when all you need to do is stand up. He said to the man, so that they will know, get up, pick up your mat, and move. Sometimes we experience this freedom, and it's, it's real, and it's there. And yet, for whatever reason, we don't get up off that mat. Maybe we're intimidated. Maybe we're, maybe we're comfortable. Maybe he's comfortable in that mat. That's all he had ever known. Imagine never, having never stood on your own two legs. You don't even know the feeling of that. That's kind of intimidating. Oh, maybe I'll just stay here. Jesus said, get up off your mat. You've been freed. Now there's work to do. Because you had a neighbor who cared for you and brought you here. And guess what? Now you don't have any obligation to that mat. You're not bound to that mat. Now you have freedom to stand up. And not only stand up, go find the next person who's stuck in their mat and carry them to me. Our role, our job, our opportunity is to carry the person in need to Christ and let him do the changing. We don't change people. We just move in freedom. We just take obligation, and that's been thrown to the side. That has nothing to do with me. I have freedom. And my freedom is to bring people to Christ so that he can give them the same thing. This is Christ's intention for us. Live in that freedom. Pick up that mat. That mat, he said, and he didn't just say, go home. This is what I love. He said, pick up your mat and go home. That mat is the testimony that you carry. This is who I once was. This is what the life that I was stuck in. This is the bondage that I once knew. This is the obligation that I couldn't get rid of. 
Pick up your mat and take it with you. Let people see who you once were and now who you truly are. Let them see the freedom that you have. Let them be drawn to Christ through the freedom that you have and carry them. Be that neighbor that binds up their wounds, speaks healing over their life, and let Jesus rush in and change their lives. This is his call for us, church. This is our role. This is our privilege. It's not obligation. It's privilege. You get to do this. I get to do this with you, and that I am excited about. This is opportunity, and family, we've got to seize the moment. We have to seize every opportunity, like it says in the book of Ephesians. Make the most of every opportunity. If you see a need, fill a need. Become a neighbor. Don't ask, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? No, see a need and become the neighbor. Fill the need because you have the freedom and the power to do so. Recognize the freedom that God has given you. Use that freedom. Use that freedom to give life. Seize every opportunity. We have creative abilities. Hey, how can I come around that person and support them? Creatively seizing every opportunity. This is not by rote. This is not policy This is or procedure. This is God has entrusted His Holy Spirit into your life, and so now go and move in that power. How will you do it? It's an adventure. It's exciting. Man, that's life. That's not just eternal life. That's life to the fullest. That's going to bed every night knowing, man, God did stuff in my life today. I carried my, my mat and so many people saw that thing. And it might be old and ratty and ugly, but I'm, that's my mat. That's not me. That's my past. And people see what God has done now in me. He's changed me. Let's be changed by Christ. Let's recognize the freedom that we have in him and have our eyes open to see the opportunities and move into that opportunity. And in that place, you will find the fullest life, I promise you, fuller than you ever could have expected to have. There's fullness when we give up our own selves, when we give up what we think is the most important thing to us and make the person in need the most important thing to us. Let's pray. I thank you, Jesus, that you have come, like it says in Isaiah, you have come to bind up the brokenhearted. We've experienced this. We know that you have done this in our own lives. I thank you that you have freedom from the captivity, freedom from oblig- free us from obligation, Lord, and now we move, we move about in freedom. And I pray that your Holy Spirit in us would just bring a heightened awareness of this freedom that we have in you, God. That this old manner of thinking that we've, been, we've known our whole lives, this old manner of thinking of obligation, requirements, these things, that we're asking the wrong questions. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would heighten our awareness of this freedom that we have in you and that you would even give us new eyes to see the opportunities you put into our lives to experience your fullness. Jesus, you said that you came so that not just we would have life, but so that we would have life to the fullest, abundant life. And I know that 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 abundant life is found as we seize the opportunity you lay right in front of us in that person nearby us. So let us see that, God. 
Guide us by the, the, the blessing of your Holy Spirit's conviction, showing us, hey, this person needs that. Hey, look at that person over there. They need a word. Show us, Father, these opportunities, God. And I pray that throughout this week, as we see these opportunities, give us that strength and that determination to step up, even though it may be awkward, it may be a challenge for us to get off that mat because we've been sitting on it for so long. God, give us the strength to step up off that mat and move out in the freedom that you've given us, the freedom that you intend for us to use, not just sit dormant, but the freedom that you want us to use and move about in. And may we come back to this place next week, Father, having all kinds of stories of what you've done in the people you've put around us, through us and our freedom. Oh, God, you're good. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.